I want to get into the message today. Our Christmas Eve service, we're going to talk about the story of the greatest gift that we could receive. So if you have your Bibles, pull out your YouVersion Bible app, you'll get your sermon notes out. Let's open up our Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Yeah! Luke chapter 2. It's a story about Jesus. We're going to read through this a little bit. Then we're going to talk about some things that I believe God's put on my heart for for encouraging us all what the greatest gift is to us and then what we can do for a greatest gift back to God. How many of you have that story of maybe, maybe as a child you have that Christmas? When I say that Christmas, maybe it's one that you remember that that Christmas is the one that you remember above all the others. It doesn't mean that you don't appreciate all the other gifts you've gotten, but I know in my mind there is one Christmas that sticks out to me above all the others. I remember what we got. I remember how things went in opening. I can't remember several other Christmas, but that one I can remember. The special Christmas to me. Maybe you have that. Maybe you've got those memories of something, your greatest gift. You got a Cabbage Patch doll or whatever it was that you got that you've been, been, been asking for. But today I want to talk about the greatest gift, the greatest gift of all of them that was given to each and every one of us. We all got it, and I want to see how, how God breaks it down for us so we can see how to appreciate it more and more and see how relevant it is to your life right now. Luke chapter 2, I'm going to start reading in verse 1. It says, and it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. The census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria, so all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of, city, out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. I like how it says for her to be delivered. Mothers that have given birth to a child, you talk about the baby being delivered. Really, you have been delivered as well. I've seen it five times. There's a delivery going on and it's amazing. So anyway, I just like how it's worded there for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace and goodwill toward men. Now I want to look at this story from a 
from an angle of God coming and giving a gift to us. If you look in verse 9, it's talking about how these shepherds were out there and they were in the field and all of a sudden, imagine, you got to put yourself in this situation, in this role. You're, you're out there in the, in the nighttime and we don't know what time it is. It doesn't say that, but, but you're out there with the sheep. It said they were living out there and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Look what happens. Verse 9, Behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. No kidding. You'll find this all through Scripture, the same pattern. Every time humanity came in contact with the manifestation of the heavenly realm, they were always afraid. Whether they saw an angel or whether they saw Jesus, no matter what it was, every time the invisible or heavenly realm showed up in the earthly realm, their first inclination was to be afraid. And it tells me this, that when you encounter God, it is such a supernatural thing that your first thought is to be afraid because it's something greater than you've ever experienced before. I don't think we will walk into the presence of God casually. What's up, God? I don't think, I've always prayed for this. I, I have prayed regularly to see into the spiritual realm. I don't know if you've done that, but I've asked, I've never seen an angel. I know people who have. I have never had Jesus show himself to me, but I've asked for it. I know people who have had encounters where it's like real life vision and all that. I've never had that. I've always asked for it, but I've never had it. But I'm sure that if that would happen, I would never be casual like, what's up? I believe when you come into the presence of God, it's awe-inspiring. So they were afraid, only natural but notice God's response, and you'll find this in every single one of those encounters that I'm talking about. Man's first inclination is to be afraid, but God's first response to them is always to say the following, do not be afraid. This is why I'm so convinced the Bible teaches us against fear, because every time we are afraid, God says, don't be afraid. What does this tell me? What does this interaction mean? I believe it tells us this. You and I, God's wanting you to understand, never be afraid of encountering God. Never be afraid of running to him. Never be afraid of going to him in a time of need. Never think that when you go to God, it's something you should be afraid to do. God wants you to come to him. I can think of a couple examples in the Bible of when Jesus was walking on the water in the middle of the night. Right? You just see this form walking on the, on the water, and the disciples look and go, ah, it's a ghost. They were kind of freaking out. If you saw some walking on the water, you might think it's a ghost too. So Jesus cried out to them, and he says, be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. I believe in your life, when you're facing a storm, Jesus wants to show up and tell you, be of good cheer. I'm here. I believe there's storms in my life when I've needed God to show up and he didn't come and say, be afraid of my presence. He says, come run to me in my presence. Don't be afraid, it's I. I can think of another example when Jesus took Peter, James, and John up on the mountain and he was transfigured before him. What that means was he took on his heavenly 
existence. He, he became like he was in heaven. And all of a sudden, Moses and Elijah show up with him. And it says, the Bible says that as soon as this happened, the voice from heaven comes and says, Behold, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And when the disciples heard this voice, they kind of freaked out. And the Bible says they were greatly afraid. But then it goes on to say, And Jesus immediately, immediately reached out and touched them and said, Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. So I just want to encourage you this morning, don't be afraid to come in contact with God. I don't care how bad you've been, how bad you've messed up, how bad you screwed up, whatever. Don't be afraid of running to Jesus. He's never going to look down on you. He's never going to condemn you. He's always going to try and lift you up and say, don't be afraid. I'm here. Be of good cheer. That's his heart for us. He doesn't, doesn't want us to be afraid. So let's look what else he says. Don't be afraid. Why should we not be afraid? Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. I bring you. I, Jesus, bring you, or the angel speaking this, but it's talking about God. I bring you good tidings. I'm bringing. How many go to a holiday meal, family member's house, and you bring something with you? You've prepared something where you were, or you stopped by and bought it, whatever it may be. But you brought something to contribute, to give. Notice what God's saying. Don't be afraid, for behold, I bring. What does he bring? When he comes over to your house, what does he bring? He brings something better than pecan pie. I know it's hard to imagine. He brings something better than sweet potato casserole. Hang on just a minute. I'm just having a moment. (laughs) He, He brings something. What does he bring? He says, behold, I bring good tidings or good news. Here's something to encourage you with. When God comes into your life to say something to you, he brings good news. I didn't say you're always going to like what he has to say. But I promise you this, it will always be good news. Anything God brings to me is good news. Now, immediately, you're trying to eliminate things and bring up experience. Say, no, that wasn't good. I did not say you liked what he had to say, but it's good news for you. Sometimes we need to value the people in our life that love us enough to come and look us in the face and say, hey, I love you. You're being an idiot. Nathan the prophet was that way to David when David had slept with Bathsheba and got her pregnant and then killed her husband. Nathan the prophet of God, you don't come tell the king that he's the culprit without fear of your life being at stake. But Nathan came and looked David in the eye and said, you're the man. Not in a good way, but you're in a bad way. We need people in our life that's going to be honest with us and tell us what we need to hear, not what we want to hear. When God speaks to you, it is good news. I read this in a book this week, a quote where a guy said, be careful who speaks into your life. An insult from a fool might be a compliment and a compliment from a fool might be an insult. Be careful who we're allowing to speak into us because some people that's applauding you might be pushing you towards destruction. And there's some people that's trying to stop you and hold you back may be trying to save your life. 
But too many times we want to gravitate towards people that will tell us what we want to know. We need to know that God brings good news even if it's tough to hear. Behold, I bring good tidings. I bring good tidings. I bring good news. What Good news of what? Good news of great joy. Everybody say great joy. Great joy. What does God bring? He brings good news about great joy. Now, when I say joy, better check yourself, because I'm not talking about an emotion. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Here's what the word joy means. It means cheerfulness, calm delight, a state of gladness or happiness. Joy does not depend on our circumstances. Your Bible says that the joy of the Lord is your strength. It doesn't say the joy of the Lord is your happiness. The joy of the Lord makes you feel good all the time. The joy of the Lord is what keeps you going through difficult circumstances. The joy of the Lord is a calm delight. We, talk, we sang about it this morning for the joy of the Lord. We just realized that joy to the world, the Lord has come. So God brings joy into our life. I'm bringing good news of great joy. Mega joy, big joy, bunch of joy. This is what he came to bring you. So whatever you're facing today, God's got something for you. It's called great joy. Great joy. It doesn't mean I bring good news of never having any troubles. That's not what he said. I bring good news about great joy. Calm delight. So now when I'm facing difficulties, tragedies, emotional distress, I know that the joy of the Lord is available to me that I can have a calm delight, I can have a peace. When everybody else is freaking out, I've got the joy of the Lord that helps me keep pressing forward. Good news of great joy. Anybody need any joy in your life? The problem is, and I'm the same way, the problem is we equate joy with feeling good. So we think I have no joy if I don't feel good. Don't be deceived, don't get tricked to think you have no joy available to you just because you feel bad. I feel bad, that's the emotional realm. But the joy of the Lord is a spiritual thing. So now I can produce the joy of the Lord even if my face doesn't show it yet. Joy, unspeakable and full of glory. So this is what he says, this is what I'm bringing. I'm bringing to you good tidings of great joy which will be to how many people? It's gonna be to how many people? All people, guess who gets in on the good tidings of great joy? Everybody. You can get in on it. He brings it to everybody. God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I bring good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Now look at what's the gift. Verse, Verse 11 tells us, what's the greatest gift? What am I bringing? For there is born to you this day, in the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Look at the language there. It says, for there is born to you. Born to you. Born to you. This is the direction of the benefit. God to us. God to us. Here's what we've got to remember about what is unique about the religion of Christianity. Above all other religion. The religion of Christianity is based on God coming to us, not our God expecting us to come to him. Born to you. In other words, God was saying, you can't get to me, so I'm going to come to you. That's why it's the greatest gift. It's because God said, Chad, you're a miserable, hopeless cause where you are. 
So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to come to you. So born to you, Chad. That's how I read it in my Bible. Born to me is a savior. God extending. This is why 800 years before this in your Bible, in Luke chapter 2, 800 years prior to this in Isaiah, he prophesied this in Isaiah chapter 9. He says, unto us. Or, yeah, 9 verse, verse 6. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Notice the direction. God to us. Anybody thankful for the gift of God coming to us instead of waiting for us to come to him? Here's what we need to know about God. God's a pursuer. He's a pursuer. He's chasing after you. Do you know that God came to us before we ever came to him? Before you ever pursued God, God was pursuing you. Born to you. Born to you. God's coming. Let me give you some scriptures to support that. In John chapter 15, it says this, for you did not choose me, but I chose you. God chose you before you chose him. Let me give you another, 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. His eyes are going around the world looking for somebody to show himself strong with. Who is it? Who is it? Come on. I'm looking for somebody. God's on the hunt. He's pursuing you. Let me give you another one. Maybe you're not convinced yet, but in Luke chapter 19, says the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He's seeking, he's seeking, he's seeking. He's not waiting saying who will come to me. He's seeking after them. He gives this, these three parables in Luke chapter 15. Read the whole chapter of Luke chapter 15 sometime. It's only, it's only about 30 some verses I think. But he tells three parables. Number one about a shepherd who had a hundred sheep and one of them trailed off. He still had 99. He could have said, well, I still got 99. I'm really not going to miss that one. What does the Bible say he did? That good shepherd left the 99 to go looking for the one. He's a seeker. He's a pursuer. It goes on to talk about a woman who had 10 coins. She lost one of them. She could have said, well, I still got nine. I'm just going to take care of my nine. No, no, no. She started sweeping the whole house looking for the one. I'm telling you, God's looking for you. Goes on to talk about the father whose son ran off, spent all of his livelihood, wasted his inheritance. What did the father do every day? He's looking over the horizon. When's my boy going to come back home? When's my boy? Oh, there he is. <laughs> there he is. Come on. Have you got the picture that God's a pursuer? No matter how bad we are, God's always reaching towards us. But religion will get you to think that he pulls back when we're bad. That when we're bad, he pulls back and makes you come to him. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden ate the fruit that God told them not to eat. Let's role play what we would do in humanity. Maybe as parents, we might say, I told that boy, Time and time again. He could have any of the fruit he wants. I told him several times. He could have any of the fruit he wants, but just don't eat that one. You can have all you want, Adam, just not that. I told that boy, Jesus. Didn't we tell him? We told him. You know what he did? What does he do? Sure enough, the one thing he can't have, that's what he wants. You know what we'll do? All right, Adam, you made your bed in it. 
made your bed, now you can lie in it. So we could have got the picture that God stands back and says, all right, when Adam comes begging, crawling back to me, maybe I'll forgive him. Did he do that? No, your Bible says that God went walking and looking for Adam. Went calling for, Adam, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Adam was hiding because he had sinned, but God was looking for him. He's a pursuer. Unto you is born. I just want want you to get this in your heart that God gave Jesus for you. The gifts to you. God extended to you. Do you deserve it? No. Do I deserve it? No. But he still gave it anyway. Unto us is born. He's a pursuer. So what is the gift? Look what he says. Is born to you. What's born to us this day in the city of David? A a savior. A savior. What's What's the word savior mean? The word savior means deliverer. To save or to rescue. A deliverer or a savior. Someone to save or rescue. I'm convinced of this. If you'll listen to me this morning, I want you to hear this from my heart. I'm, I'm convinced of this fact. And I, I want to speak to my kids and maybe your kids, people that have been raised in church your whole life. Hear my heart. I'm convinced that we will never embrace a savior until we acknowledge our need to be saved. We will never embrace a deliverer until we recognize we need to be delivered. As long as we think we're okay, as long as we think we're good, then we will not embrace him for ourselves. I remember the time I could go to the location where I had a moment with God where he showed me who I was without him. Absolutely 100% the most humbling moment of my life. When I saw in that moment, he showed me a picture of what I was like without him and where I would go without him. In that moment, I clung to my deliverer. Because I knew I needed deliverance. I started clinging. I didn't struggle anymore with certain things because I realized I needed a savior. So until you realize you need saving, then you'll play with it. Be careful. Can I speak maybe to those raised in church and you get up to a certain age and you begin to think I've got some independence and I've got some freedom. And maybe I'll decide, you know, whether I want to go to church or not. I, I can decide for myself. Be careful when the voice of freedom starts talking in your ear. It very well could be the voice of bondage. The voice is trying to tell you, you know what, you raised all that. It's time for you to find out for yourself. I want you to experience for yourself. I want you to know for yourself. But I'm telling you, you need to cling to your deliverer because he is your hope. It's not about just church. It's not just about church attendance. I'm telling you, we have to recognize we need to deliver. And once we do, I realize the greatest gift to my life was Jesus. Not because I'm somebody, because I recognized who I was without him. And now I want to cling to him because without him I have no hope. I'm a scumbag without Jesus. I'm not saying that for dramatic effect. I'm telling you the truth that without him... I'm a terrible husband, I'm a terrible father, I'm a terrible person, but with Jesus, change my heart, cling to him unto you as born a savior. Do you need saving? 
Once you know how much you need deliverance, you'll hang on to your deliverer. It'll become more than a church commitment. I come to church regularly because of my commitment to him. Coming to church is not my commitment. It's a byproduct of my commitment. (laughs) Reading my Bible is a byproduct of my commitment to him. I, I need his word because without his word in my heart, I begin to have my own thoughts. And when Chad begins to have his own thoughts, let me tell you, my thoughts will lead me down a different path. But when I put his thoughts into my heart, they are life to me. They are hope to me. So this is the gift that's given to us. So I, I want to talk about this gift and break it down real quickly. Three steps, the process of buying a gift. Maybe you bought a gift for someone for the holiday season. I hope that you did. And if mine's waiting outside from you, I appreciate it. I just want to say thank you ahead of time. But I'm just kidding. Here's three steps I thought about when buying a gift. Number one is the planning stage. When you're going to buy a gift, the first priority is to make it about them and not about you. If you're going to be a good gift giver, you don't think about, well, what would I like? I think I'm going to get them that. I would really like it. That's going to be a bad gift. You better think about what they want, not about what you want. I bought gifts for people that I'm like, why in the world would they want this? I'm thinking of several things right now, but I'm not going to say what they are. But sometimes you buy gifts for people and you don't, you wouldn't have any idea why they're for, but, but here's the planning. It's not about you. So when God gave the gift of Jesus, he made it all about you and not about him. When Jesus left heaven to come and die on the cross, why did he do that? Because it was all about you. It's the planning part. He made it all about himself or made it all about us and not about himself. John 6, 38 says, I've, I've not come down from heaven to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Here's the second step, right? Once you plan, it's not about you. It's about them. The second one is you have to actually go out and buy it. A gift is free to us, but it costs somebody. When you're going to buy a gift, you're going to give it to them. You're not going to ask them, uh, okay, so you're going to give me something to pay me back? How many of you would give a gift to someone and say, okay, (laughs) I left the tag on it for you, just so you know where to write the check, how much. Nobody's going to say that. A gift is free to them, but it costs you something, right? Your salvation was free to you, but it cost Jesus his life. First Peter says it this way says you were purchased, you were redeemed, not with corruptible things like money, silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. So now the third step is a presentation. So you planned, it's not about me. Uh, Pay the price, I I gotta purchase it. Number three is a presentation, you actually gotta give it to them. When you go to give a gift, Your motivation for giving a gift should never be anything other than love. If your motivation is something else, be careful. How many of you ever given a gift and the response that you got back in return was less than what you expected? I'm not sure that you can picture this for yourself, so I brought an illustration. I'm going to set the story for you. It was just this October at Lucas's fourth birthday party. He was going through bags and pulling out toys and 
excited, going through every one, ripping through them. And then he came to this gift. And sometimes when you give a gift, you can't give a gift based on the response because sometimes the response is not what you're looking for. So I want you to see if you can pick up on the subtlety of his lack of appreciation for this gift. Go ahead and roll it. Turn up so you can get Oh, what's in there, Lucas? Oh, it's close. What is it? Oh. <laughs> you see that? I know it's fast. Did you see that? His cousin standing beside him. What is it? Oh, it's close. All right. There were like five or six different items of clothing in there. He didn't even bother picking them up. He's like, he's moving on. Do you know that God gave his son Jesus knowing that some people would go. That he knew that Chad Everett for a season of his life would go. Yeah, savior of the world. (laughs) Died for my sins, yeah, whatever, church. How many people have done that to the greatest gift ever given to them? gift represents Jesus. You get a gift. How many knows a gift is not going to benefit you unless you open? I'm telling you, God has sent Jesus for you. And you can take the gift of Jesus and you can set it on the shelf and you can look at it and go, that's, man, that's pretty. But the only way you're going to benefit from this gift is if you open it up. Maybe you've got kids that when they open a gift, they're not the dainty with it you know they this is this is the way you got to be with your gift of jesus you got to tear into that bad boy and get it i want to see i want to see what i got i want to see what's in there here's here's jesus the gift to me what's what's it going to be oh you got to open up and see what's inside how many ever bought a gift for someone and inside they had multiple things and they pull out the first thing and they didn't know that there was more in it Some people open up the gift of Jesus and all they pull out is this, forgiveness. Is forgiveness important? Absolutely, it's huge. But sometimes they pull out forgiveness and that's all that they experience. Just like when you bought that gift for someone and they pulled out that first pair of socks and you said, wait, wait, look, there's, wait a minute, look, there's, there's more. There's more. And I'm telling you, there is more in the box of Jesus than we are experiencing in our life sometimes. I don't know what you're needing in your life, but I'm telling you, if you will pull out, he's got joy for you. It's in there. You just got to pull it out. It's all in the box. You keep digging. Maybe, oh, I got some love. Love is found in Jesus. You're looking for, looking for love in all the wrong places. Look at the box. It's in Jesus. You need some peace today? It's in Jesus. Peace is not found in better circumstances. Peace is found in Jesus. 
Jesus can help you walk through circumstances that everyone else would want to run from. Somehow you have the strength to walk through it. How is it? Because you had Jesus in your life. He may want to bring something else. Maybe, maybe faithfulness. Maybe you want to pull out some faithfulness. He's got all kinds of, of good things in here. Maybe, maybe you need this. Maybe you need some kindness. Jesus has it in there. Oh, here's a good one. Maybe, maybe you need some self-control. It's found in Jesus. He's got all kinds of good stuff, but we've got to pull it out of the box. So here it is to you and I, the greatest gift, Jesus. What are you experiencing? Maybe you just need to pull something else out of the box. Maybe you never thought that God wanted you to have that. So here's what I want us to do. Your greatest gift to God, what, what can you, you ever had that person Maybe they're on your Christmas list right now. You, you've said this, what gift, what do you get for the person that has everything, everything, right? So what would we get God? <laughs> if there's anybody in the world that has everything, he has everything. It's not like he wants our money. It's not like I could get him a gift card. Here you go, Lord. Here's a gift card to the mall. Knock yourself out. What's, what's he going to do with that? So what's the greatest gift you can give God? It's you. It's not prideful. I'm just telling you, you are the greatest gift that you can give Jesus. So let's follow the process for giving the gift of yourself. Number one, you got you to make it not about you. If you're going to give a gift to someone, it's not about you. If you're going to give yourself to God, then we have to stop thinking about us and start thinking about him. God, it's not about me. I'm going to give you me so it's not what I want. It's what you want. Number two, you have to pay. There's a payment when you're giving a gift to someone. It's free to him, but it's going to cost you. Sometimes we want the, the benefits of God without paying the price. I heard it. I read this in the book that I was also reading that too many times we in the Western world in the church have created a system where we want to buy in without selling out. We want to buy in to everything God has for me, but I don't want to sell out. We want to find what's the minimum that we can do and still be a Christian when we should be saying, God, what's the most I can give you to be your son, to be your daughter? So number three, you gotta make the presentation. You've considered what he wants, not what you want. You've paid the price. You said, God, if it costs me whatever, you're worth it. Because if you sacrifice something, but you get more in return, did you really lose anything? If you're in a, in a deal and you give someone something, but you get more in return, did it really cost you? I mean, it's a net gain. I promise you, if you'll give your life to Jesus, it will be a net gain for you. You'll get way more in return. The things that I've walked away from and said, I will not do that anymore. They're just insignificant compared to what God has done in my life. So will you make the presentation? You do it out of love. We don't give our lives to God for what we get in return. We give our lives to God because we love him. Love is our motivator. So here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. I'm gonna ask you to wrap yourself up today. Wrap yourself up, put a pretty bow on yourself. If you're a guy, you can just ignore the pretty bow part. I want you to wrap yourself up and I want, to get, want you to give yourself to God. You say, well, I'm already a Christian. I, 
I'm not talking about limited to forgiveness. I'm talking about being all in. I encourage you, come back next week. We're going to start our 21 days of prayer and fasting. We're going to be talking about being resolute. And God's got something he's wanting me to challenge the church on for 2018. It's, it's going to be very significant. I'm, I'm excited about it. God spoke these words to me. He said, Chad, I want you to be all in this year. My Lord, I thought I was already. He said, no, no, no. Start showing me areas. He showed me an area yesterday, and he said, see, humbling. I said, God, I'm, yeah, I'm all in. This thing happened? And he said, oh, I guess you're not all in, are you? Like, oh. Good news. It was good news. Did I want to hear it? No. Nope. But it was good news.